All right, NFL fans, welcome back to another episode of the NFL Whip Around. I'm one of the two co-hosts, Jeff Hartman, joined by me as always, Kevin KT Smith. Coach Smith, what's going on, man? How are you? Jeff, great, man. How are you? I I, I catch you everywhere. You must be the hardest working man in show business because you're all over my Twitter, man, podcasting right and left. It is my job now. So uh yeah, you gotta do it. It's part of the it's part of the job. I love it. And we have to be ecstatic because the Pittsburgh Steelers are winners. We're both Steeler fans. We both contribute to the Steel Curtain Network. But I gotta ask you a question before we even get into the the big storylines from week three. As a coach, you're watching the Steelers in the fourth quarter, and you know the the situation. It's the Steelers are 23, I think it's 15. Josh Daniels decides to kick a field goal. What was your thought on fourth down? Uh, yeah, I hated that call. I just, uh, and I hated it even worse after the Steelers, well, jumped off sides and he did it. He did the same thing again uh, another a minute later. Um, I just didn't feel as though uh, the Vegas offense was moving the ball well enough to to squander an opportunity to be down close there and and maybe potentially tie the game. It just it just felt like. If they didn't tie the game, then it was going to be hard for them to kick a field goal, potentially stop the Steelers, and then drive down the field and and score a touchdown. So, I, yeah, I didn't like that decision. What goes through his mind, though? Like that, that's that's kind of my question for you as the coach, as our local coach. What goes through Josh McDaniel's mind that makes him think, "Oh, let's kick this field goal." I understand the thought process. If we get the ball back and score a touchdown, we don't need to rely on a two point conversion. But still, it just doesn't make sense to me. Can you make it make sense to me? I think in his mind, he believed that Vegas could stop the Steelers' offense quickly, turn that thing around. Uh, that you know, there's probably a pretty good sense that the Steelers were going to run, run, pass, and they must have felt pretty confident being able to to stop that. When the really the only time that the Steelers ran the ball well in that game was when. They were in situations where they could lighten the box because Vegas run blitzed the heck out of the Steelers. And I think that they felt confident, like, we'll run blitz them on first and second down. We'll get a couple stops, force them to throw on third. I just I just think he felt more confident in that scenario uh, than he did relying on his offense to score and, and make a two-point conversion in, in the previous scenario. So I don't agree with it. Because I think that you're you're in that in the scenario that the Ra- that the Raiders went with, everything has to break right for them. Yeah. In in the final four minutes of the game, in the scenario, uh, in the alternative scenario, you had to make a first down, and then you you would you were already in the red zone, score and make a two point conversion. That just seemed like an easier ask. Interesting, indeed. A lot of interesting things happened in this week three. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to cover the Monday Night Football games that are happening as we record this right now. We're going to talk about Sunday's action and big-time upsets. I mean, huge upsets over the weekend. We want to figure out what was the biggest upset. Was it the Arizona Cardinals over the Dallas Cowboys, the Houston Texans over the Jacksonville Jaguars, or the Indianapolis Colts going back to their old stomping grounds in Baltimore and beating the Ravens with backup quarterback Gardner Minshew at M&T Bank Stadium? Kevin, looking at these three games, which tops your list? I'll take Arizona over Dallas, mostly because Dallas was just so good in the first two weeks. And <laughs> as Steeler fans, you and I are also contractually obligated to strongly dislike Dallas. And so it was <laughs> yes. it was rather satisfying to see the Dallas hype train 
you know, be be on full blast, and then to have the Cardinals take them out. But but I, the Cardinals didn't get lucky. That wasn't a fluke. They absolutely outplayed Dallas, and Dallas squandered their opportunities. They, I mean, man, the Cowboys, all four of their drives in the second half progressed inside the Arizona 10-yard line, and yet all they came away with was two field goals. You get four golden opportunities like that, and you, and you can't get more than six points. I don't care who you're playing. You're not going to win the game. So so that wasn't a fluke. Dallas played a poor game. Arizona played really well. And the Cardinals are shockingly competent right now. I, yeah. The fact that Josh Dobbs is playing football for them and was brought in like less than a week before the opener is uh, – heck of an accomplishment they're doing a great job with that coaching staff yeah that you took the words right out of my mouth don't underscore that the arizona cardinals have been playing really good football and joshua dobbs james connor the two former steelers have kind of reinvigorated their careers in ways and they could easily have at least two wins on the season if not more been playing that they're not an easy out everyone thought oh they're tanking you can tell they're tanking you know they're cutting colt mccoy before the season no but I'm still gonna I'm gonna disagree with you. That was a huge upset. But I'm gonna go with the Indianapolis Colts going into Baltimore. And I know that the conditions were rough. It was rainy and windy, and the the field at MT Bank, which is a natural grass surface, was a little bit rough. But for Gardner Minshew, the backup quarterback, that's your boy, by the way. Gardner <laughs> Minshew goes into Baltimore and he beats Lamar Jackson. I and oh, I live in Maryland, so all the all the Ravens fans are. They are making excuses like it is their 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 daytime job. I mean, oh, the injuries, and they didn't have Odell, and blah, 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 blah. You were playing a backup quarterback on the road. It, there's no reason why the Ravens should have lost this game. I followed this game closely for obvious reasons with the work I do with the Steel Curtain Network. And I got to be honest, when Justin Tucker lined up for the 61-yard field goal at the end of regulation, I said, I've seen this movie a million times. This ball game is over and it comes up short. Did they get, did they get hosed on the Zay flowers calling overtime? Probably don't leave it up to the officials. That's what I always say. Kevin, what do you think about that game? No, I agree with that. Don't leave it up to the officials. Don't leave it up to your kicker to have to make a 61 yard field goal, no matter how good he is. Cause I was shocked too. when he missed it, the stash, man, come on. I can't believe you doubted the stash. You're right. <laughs> Gardner Minshew mania. Yeah, uh, I, I've always liked Gardner Minshew. I, I I actually wanted the Steelers to try to get him two years ago when when they opted for Mitch Trubisky instead. Um, I thought that I thought that Indianapolis did a nice job of mixing up their coverages. Lamar Jackson didn't look comfortable. I think yeah. Lamar Jackson's a little stuck right now in between the version that he was under Greg Roman and the version that Todd Munkin wants him to become because. He, he threw from the pocket some like quick timing routes and the, the stuff that they did at Georgia with Stetson Bennett, you know, get the ball out of his hand quick, perimeter screens, that stuff. And then they had a few design runs, and then he scrambled around a little bit. But I, I was trying to figure out the rhyme or reason. Like, what are they trying to establish? And it just didn't feel like they knew. It just felt like, okay, we haven't run him yet. Let's run him now. And um, and I know that that's not how it how it went, but it just that's how it felt to me. And, I, and so – I'm just I just don't know if Baltimore's defined their offense right now. They seemed to lack some identity. Obviously, the, the Dobbins injury has hurt them. So I, th I think they're going to go through some growing pains as they uh, acclimate to Todd Munkin and his style. It feels very forced to me. Like some of the passes that they're the past plays, past designs, 
seems very forced. And maybe it's because I'm used to the Greg Roman scheme, which is run, 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 only throw it if you have to. I don't know. I don't want to discredit the Houston Texans beating the Jacksonville Jaguars, though. I think the reason why I didn't have this as my biggest upset wasn't the fact that C.J. Stroud's a quarterback. It wasn't the fact that the Jaguars are a playoff team from last year. To me, it has everything to do with the fact it's a divisional game. And sometimes those divisional games, you just don't know what's going to happen. Every now and then you get those upsets. But what was your takeaway from that game real quick? No, I agree with that. I, and I thought that uh, the Texans did a tremendous job with their play calling. Bobby Slawick, their offensive coordinator, I thought he really uh, helped C.J. Stroud. He moved the pocket a bunch to give him throws where he could kind of get away from the rush and, and go through his reads easily. And then when he kept him in the pocket, he max protected. They missed, they mixed uh, their formations up a bunch and they got him into some seven man protections where he could stand back there feeling confident. Like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get, they're going to block guys for me. And, and it's all the, all the little things that you want to do when you have a young quarterback that seem obvious, but we see plenty of teams not do that for their young quarterbacks and, and Houston did. So that's a good coaching staff, man. D'Amico Ryan's I think is an excellent uh, coach. And I think that that Houston is another team that is, that's been a pleasant surprise early on. They look like they might be the worst team in the league and they're two and one. And so you had, in, in my opinion, week three was a mix of upsets and blowouts. There were a lot of one-sided, very lopsided games, none worse than the Miami dolphins completely dismantling the Denver Broncos, putting up 70 points. They could have scored more. And it wasn't just the fact that Mike McDaniel decided to not kick a field goal at the end of regulation. They could have just run it up and down the field. They, they, they took, they took players out. Didn't matter. They were still scoring. The question that you posed for this show is does giving up 70 points and 700 yards in an NFL game, get someone fired. Let's answer that first coach. Do you think that someone should be fired on the Denver Broncos for that debacle on Sunday? Probably not, probably not in week three, but boy, he, 722 yards of offense. That is, yeah. I mean, there's NFL teams that go two and a half games combined and they don't, they don't put up that many. Yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, and, and it's Vance Joseph. He's the DC in Denver. He's not, he's not a new guy. He's a guy who's no. been around the block. And um, the, inter the, you know, the interesting thing was this in, in the, in the post game press conference, Sean Payton, was really critical of Russell Wilson. And I was like, I mean, not obviously critical, but you know, you read between the lines critical. And I thought he's either really deflecting right now from, from the defense or he's looking for a scapegoat. He's looking for a guy who he can sort of push this on because I've never believed that Sean Payton and Russell Wilson would get along. And so I, I was really kind of stunned by that. Wow. Wow. You just gave up 70 points and 722 yards, but you're going to, you're going to, you know, make some, take some subtle jabs at the quarterback. So I, I'll be really interested to see how that plays out going forward. I don't know if anyone's getting fired there, but there, there may be some personnel changes and they may be big ones. I, I've gone back and forth with this in my mind for a while. And I did a show yesterday with Rob Stats Guerrero, and we talked about this game at length. And I, I don't know if this is, more about the Broncos and their inability to do anything well, or about the Dolphins looking like some unstoppable juggernaut of offensive speed and talent that you have to ask if there's anyone in the AFC that can even try and slow them down. And we're talking about a stacked AFC. 
So in your opinion, what is the storyline after a game where you give up over 700 yards and 70 points? Is it the defense and the team that got lambasted or is it the offensive team that put up those numbers? Well, it's probably a little bit of both. Miami's really creative. They, they, they found a way. I, I saw somebody do a film breakdown on that, on this this morning. They ran the same toss crack play where, where all they're doing is tossing the ball to the running back, whether out of the shotgun or under center and finding a way to get a receiver to out leverage the widest defender and then crack back on him. They found about five or six different ways to run that same play out of different formations and motions. They just kept disguising it, but they're running the same play. And every single time they out leveraged Denver, every single time they managed to get the wide receiver outside of the corner so he could crack him. And they were, you know, they were just doing a great job with their blocking, sealing the edge. The running back would get to the edge. The wide receiver would seal the corner and it was off to the races up the sideline. That like that stuff that you see in junior league football where everybody, every, every 11 year old running back runs to the edge because they don't know how to run up the middle yet, but Miami was just doing a wonderful job of disguising their ability to do so and then blocking the heck out of the perimeter. And it never felt like Denver figured it out. So to me, that's a little bit of both. Miami's being really creative, getting, I mean, they're, they're, they're a track team in cleats, so they're getting their, their athletes in space. And Denver just never figured out or made an adjustment. There's like three different times when they just blatantly, they used what, what teams are calling exit motion, where the, where the slot motion's away from the formation towards the sideline rather than back in. And they ran that motion like three separate times and the corner never adjusted. He let the, he let the guy, the slot get outside him every time. That was kind of mind boggling. There was the still image I saw. I don't know if it was Tyree kill or someone else was running with the football. And all you see are probably about eight orange jerseys. That were the Broncos like on the ground in the wake of the play, it looked like carnage on the football field. It's like, what is going on on this play? I've never seen a game like this. I'm doing some stuff around the house because the Steelers don't play till Sunday night on Sunday. I've got my phone with me. So I'm listening to more games and watching on YouTube TV. And every time I turn on this game, it's touchdown dolphins, touchdown dolphins, dolphins score again. Just incredible. I'm really excited to see the dolphins go up against some of these really high powered teams and see how they withstand it. And can they stay healthy? Because we saw last year when Tua gets hurt, it, it kind of all falls apart. So we'll see if they can remain healthy, but let's Miami go on Buffalo to the next, next week, man. That's Miami, right. Buffalo. That's, oh, really? Buffalo's that's defense week? was awesome yesterday. So next week, that's going to be yeah. must watch TV. Is that Sunday night, Monday night, or is that just a regular game? Yeah, I'm not sure, but I can't okay. wait. That's going to be a good one. I'm sure we'll be yeah. talking about that. That's good to look forward to that. Okay, let's talk about a, a really interesting topic. And this is actually something that people can bet on if you're a sports gambler, <laughs> go to the sports book. And that is which starting quarterback will be the first to get benched. Now, going into week three, Kenny Pickett of the Steelers was leading or had the odds on favorite to be the first quarterback to be benched. I'm not sure if he still holds that dubious distinction, but what do you think? Who do you think? would be the first quarterback to potentially be benched this NFL season? I think based on play alone, it's Ryan Tannehill. But I don't think Tennessee is going to put Malik Willis into the starting lineup because he does not give them a better chance to win than Tannehill. I think if Tennessee had a a backup who was more ready, a more veteran guy, then they might, they might make that move. Um, Mac Jones – just, I mean, he won a game yesterday, and he didn't. He didn't lose the game for New England. But I, I think, I think that the Patriots are in a similar boat. Like, if they had somebody else, 
and they don't. Bailey Zappi's the backup. Man. They don't. So, so I mean, those two guys aren't, aren't playing great football. But I will not be shocked at all if Russell Wilson is the first guy to get benched. I mean, based Damn. on the comments that Sean Payton made after the game and just some of the friction that's a, that's already kind of gone on between the two of them, when your team is really, really struggling like that, a, a classic coach's move is to make an example of somebody. And I think that Sean Payton, he didn't, he didn't inherit – I mean, he didn't make a move to bring Russell Wilson to Denver. He inherited him. I don't think that that's his – his cup of tea, Russell Wilson's style of play. I think Jared Stidham, who's the backup, did uh, was competent enough in New England for them to to consider making a move for him. It just I, I wouldn't say that he's the odds-on favorite by any stretch of the imagination, but I will not be shocked at all if uh, if Sean Payton kind of shocks his team back to life by making a big move like that. I'm going to go in a different route. Uh, there's two quarterbacks that come to mind. First is Zach Wilson in New York. The Jets, the Jets roster was built to compete with Aaron Rodgers. He gets unfortunately hurt in the first few minutes of week one. I, I just don't think there's any way that organization can continue to put him out there and just squander away a season because they've put together, they've assembled a pretty solid roster and it just looks like they're just, it, it, they took all the wind out of their sails. I don't think they have the answer on the current roster. I wouldn't be shocked if they make a trade whether that's a blockbuster trade, maybe for someone like a Kirk Cousins who's in the final year of his contract in Minnesota and they're 0-3, or maybe that's someone that's a backup for another team, a Gardner Minshew-like person that they could bring in and say, let's have you start. Maybe it's a Mike White. Maybe it's a Mitch Trubisky for, for the Steelers or Mason Rudolph even. It, it's got to be better than what they have now. I would go that way. And here's another one, and I'm not sure if it would play out. It's gonna. It's not going to be right away. I could see Jimmy Garoppolo getting benched out in Las Vegas. Uh, I don't think that there's, you know, you listen to Devontae Adams after the game. He had some really strong comments about, look, he's looking at his career saying, like, I, I'm not wasting. I don't want to waste time out here. What am I doing? What are we doing? And who's the the, the rookie's name escapes me that played really well for the Raiders this preseason uh, out of Purdue, I believe. What is his name? Do you remember? Aiden O'Connell. Yeah, he was. Yes. He was great this preseason. So maybe they want to get a look at him and say, look, if this season is a bust, we want to see what we have in this young guy. He played well in the preseason. Just another name to throw out there. I don't know what you think. Jim, Jimmy G's in the concussion protocol right now. So right. you never know. I mean, maybe that's yeah. the way that they slide O'Connell into the lineup. Maybe that wouldn't. He got beat be up last night. Jimmy G, man, he got beat up. He went from not being sacked in two games to being beat up like none other in one. Yeah. So. The Steelers made up with four sacks and eight quarterback hits. So, all right, enough of the benching. Let's talk about what everyone loves to talk about, and that's kickers, right? Everyone loves to talk about kickers. Why? Because, well, kickers are people too. Like, that's important. <laughs> Pat McAfee taught us all that as he skyrocketed to stardom now as someone that is more of a content creator. But nonetheless, does the NFL have a kicker problem? I'm going to tee this up for you and let you explain why you wanted to talk about this on the show. Well, it's interesting because when the NFL decided that uh, that field goals would count as three points, kickers were generally like makeshift offensive linemen, you know, fat guys who towed the ball. And, and you know, initially, you know, the, the ghosts were right on the goal line. And then kickers got better and they moved them back to the back of the end zone, partially for safety, but partially because of competency. And then they had, you know, used to kick off from the 35-yard line. Now, now they've moved that back as well. Kickers can bomb the ball out of the back of the end zone whenever they want to. Chris Boswell 
in the Steelers game last night, banged one off the goalpost, uh, a kickoff. I yeah. mean, it just – they're making 50-plus yard field goals used to be something – that was a big deal. Our, our, you and I are both old enough to remember when a 50-yard field goal was like a risky move. Like, oh, I don't know if he can make it. And if they miss, the other team's going to get the ball out near midfield. Teams don't even think about 50-plus yard field goals, right? Once, once you cross midfield at this point in the NFL, you're pretty much in field goal range. When Justin Tucker lined up for that 61-yard field goal at the end of regulation in the Ravens-Colts game yesterday, I think pretty much everybody watching just figured done deal that it, that he was going to make it. It was shocking to see him miss. Boswell nailed a 57-yard field goal last night in the Steelers Raiders game that went straight down the middle and was good by 12 yards. I mean, it, it's it's now some somebody I can't remember which kicker it was hit a 61-yarder yesterday. I mean, it's just not it's not the way that the game was originally designed with that intent. And I'm just curious if there will be some thought on the part of the NFL to try to minimize the the you know the how easy it's become to kick really long field goals like just spitballing ideas here what if the NFL said you know hey man we want to make we want to encourage teams to be more aggressive going for it once they cross midfield rather than have teams kick 62 yard field goals from the opponent's 45 yard line what if we what if we say that if you miss a field goal uh then it's it's you know, you, you don't just get the ball where the ball was kicked from. You tackle on another 10 yards, something like that. Something that makes teams think a, a little bit harder about whether or not they want to try the long field goal or do they want to keep their offense on the field, which is clearly the more exciting element of, of football. So I'm just, you know, th do they have a kicker problem? Well, the problem is kickers have gotten so darn good that there's a question about whether or not they can keep the rules the same. Shoot, I say turn it into like a fantasy approach where if you make a 60 plus yarder, it's more than three points. Make it, make it, make it five, you know, something like that, something crazy. Reward these kickers for being awesome. It's going to put more of an emphasis on them being good there. But if they make like a 45 yarder, maybe that's only a, like a two or a one point play. Maybe vary it up. Let's, like progressive let's get it. Hey, let's, scale, right? <laughs> let's get wild with this thing. I mean, if we're just changing know. the rules, what the heck? I will quote, I, I, I am a big Rich Eisen fan. I saw a clip. He had Larry David. I'm obviously a huge Seinfeld fan. And he said, Larry, what do you think is wrong with the NFL? And he said, kickers are wrong with the NFL. How in the hell you have all these people colliding and these big, gruesome, gruesome guys just like killing each other. And then you're going to decide it by a guy kicking a ball between two yellow posts. It's horrible. Get rid of the posts. Get rid of the kickers. Make them go for it every time. That's kind of appealing to me, but that's just me. So I don't know. They are getting good, though, man. Kickers oh. are getting really good. Really freaking good. I mean, shoot, in Heinz Field, which it was Heinz Field at the time, now Akersher Stadium, it was forever till a kicker made a 50-plus yard kick there, ever. And Jeff Reed, I think he was the first one to do it. Just crazy how much things have changed in a very short amount of time. You know, when I, I mean, I, I've been coaching for a long time, and and when I was when I first started in the early 90s, we were always taking a, a guard, a defensive tackle, and he was our kicker. It was just you had a big kid who can mash the ball. Now I am not exaggerating. I got I have like dads sending me highlight tapes of their sixth grade kid kicking the ball off tees at like the local park, you know, and like, coach, do you do you know any kicker trainers that I can get him to? He's he's really got a talent for this. And and the thing is, 
they they generally do. They're pretty good, you know. But like, <laughs> I'm not really, you know. Oh, I'm gonna recruit your 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 11 year old to be my kicker in five years. But hey, get yeah. Pez out there. He's scouting them out, right? You're you're uh, your bookie guy. Pez, Pez, the man. Pez, is Pez is killing it on Pez's picks, by the way. If the Eagles <laughs> cover tonight, I'll be four and one for the week. That guy's killing it. Well, I, I I need to start writing this down as I'm listening to the uh, call sheet then. But no, in your high school, because this is a really good, because when I was in high school and I didn't play football in high school, I was a golfer. Don't judge. Anyways, uh, I was, I'd be watching all the high school games. If it was like 35 yard was like the max kick they would ever go for it. But it's outside of 35. They're, they're going for it on fourth down or they're trying to punt and pooch punt it, pin them deep. What is your status of kicking right now in terms of your team? We're, we're comfortable kicking anywhere inside the 25. Like our, our kicker in practice can make can with, with pretty, pretty reliably make it from 45 and in. So, wow. I mean, so we get inside the 25 yard line. We feel comfortable kicking. If the game was on the line, I would try one as far out as probably, you know, 45 to 50. Wow. That's impressive for a yeah. high school kid. That's really good. That's impressive. And, that's and, and most of most teams have a kid that's within that range. So yeah, it really, it's really changed a lot. Yeah, my high school would have a kid that played on the soccer team, was allowed to play for both teams, and he would just show up and kick field goals, and then he'd go play soccer afterwards. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, let's finish this up with uh, one more topic before we get to the player profile. The NFL's best and worst teams through three weeks. Now, again, like I said, Mo Monday Night Football is currently going on right now. Two games, Eagles, Buccaneers, Rams, Bengals. The reason I bring that up is because, well, the Eagles are currently 2-0. and They are beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 10-3, to Right now, almost at the end of halftime, there's a lot of really good teams. There's a lot of really bad teams. Who do you think would be the best team for you right now heading into week four? Yeah, I mean, Miami's the sexy pick right now. Everybody's all over the Dolphins, and it's hard to deny that. But for me, it's San Francisco. I, I just look at the 49ers, and I mean, I, I'm I'm a person who really evaluates football from the inside out. I look at the lines before I look at anything else. Miami's a, a an amazing track team and they're doing a tremendous job using that speed. I just wonder how they would fare against San Francisco up front. I mean, with the 49ers uh, as good as they are on both lines, the offensive and defensive lines, would they just push the Dolphins all over the field? And they're talented enough at the skill positions themselves uh, to be able to handle some of Miami's speed. I just think that they're they're the most complete team. They're they're, they're phenomenal on defense. We saw that firsthand in, in week one and they, when they absolutely obliterated the Steelers' offense. Uh, they're, they're creative on, uh, on, on offense themselves. Brock Purdy's emerged as not just a reliable quarterback, but probably you know a top 12 quarterback in the league. Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, Kittle, they've got so many different ways that they can hurt you on offense. So I think they're the most complete team, and, and through three weeks they've impressed me the most. I'm going to go with Miami because I just, I just don't know if anyone's going to be able to, to run with them physically and literally, uh, or, or I guess, yeah, put it that way. It's one of those things where the, the, it's just so impressive. And we saw it a little bit last year. I remember the Steelers going down there on Sunday night football. It turned into a track meet real quick in the first quarter and the Steelers were not ready for that at all. So I'll be interested to see if a defense, maybe even like Philadelphia or a San Francisco, the one team that might be able to run with them in terms of keeping up, it's Kansas City for me because Kansas City just, they're going to figure it out. Like they scored 41 points against Chicago. And I know Chicago is not that great, but still, like 
they're going to be able to put up points as well. That would be a fun matchup as well. So we'll, we'll see. What about the worst team in the league right now? Who do you think is the worst team? I think I just talked about mine, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think it's even close. I think the Bears are horrendous. Yes. I mean, yes. th- that game I that game was on locally in our area, and I was flicking around through the the uh, the Sunday ticket at all, at all the games. But I, I watched some of that game, and and the Bears, every single time I, I clicked on the Bears game, Justin Fields was running for his life. And, yeah. and it, I mean, Justin Fields has not progressed well, and I don't, I don't know how much of that's on him and how much is, is on the offensive coordinator there who's probably going to get fired sometime pretty soon. Um, but it feels as though they're, they're both a, a, a train wreck on the field and now off the field. The defensive coordinator resigning with, with those issues. My God, Soldier Field got robbed. Yeah. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's just collapsing all around the Bears. And, yeah. you know, Matt Eberflus, he's going to be coaching for his job very soon. You, you even go back to the the Chase Claypool trade, which Steeler fans love to talk about because it's just like the fleecing of all fleecings from general manager to general manager that they gave up a second round pick for this guy who plays aloof most of the time, doesn't perform, and the Steelers ended up getting the 32nd overall pick, which they turned into Joey Porter Jr. Just that move in and of itself is bad. But then you have Justin Fields, so you bring in some talent around him. DJ Moore's got to be absolutely like, what is going on? Like, this is horrible. I would have rather stayed in Carolina and played with Bryce Young than I would come here to do this. Justin Fields is, a, I think, the third overall draft pick that year, if I, if I remember correctly. He's, he's not it. He's not it. Like, I don't think there's anyone with a critical eye that can watch him play and say, how much longer do you give this guy to develop? At, at what point, Coach, do you just say, we got to move on. Like we, we got to try and figure out something else because it's just not working. Yeah. And it's got contentious now with him publicly talking about the coaches are giving him too much to process. And uh, once you now start sort of sniping back and forth, and then obviously Iberflus has to come out and do the damage control. And yep. it feels like he doesn't have great control over the locker room. The coaching staff doesn't seem to be on the page for, as far as the scheme goes. Now that now the drama with the DC Uh, In a lot of franchises, it starts with the quarterback. I don't know how good Fields can become. I don't know if he's a guy that is just in the wrong system or if he's a guy who's who's not going to be able to make it in the NFL. When I watched him at Ohio State, there were always concerns about him as a pocket passer. And there's only so much you can do out of the pocket. Being out of the pocket helps, but you can't live out of the pocket in the NFL. If you can't make the throws from in the pocket, you're not going to make it. And so – uh, you look at C.J. Stroud, another Ohio State product in in Houston. He's been awesome in the pocket. He he's he's become he, the first quarterback in NFL history to throw at least 110 passes without an interception. And and a lot of that is because he understands his read progressions and he protects the football. And Fields is the opposite of that right now. So I don't know. I don't know. Is it, is it in Fields? Is it partly Fields and the inability of Chicago staff to develop him? I'm not sure, but I think that's going to get worse before it gets better. Let's finish up with our player profile. We do this every week. Last week was TJ Watt. The week before that was Brandon Ayuk of the San Francisco 49ers. This week, we're sticking with a quarterback. That's a good theme that we had going there with Justin Fields. This is a good quarterback, though, and that's one Justin (laughs) Herbert from the Los Angeles Chargers. They finally win a game. It was not pretty at times, and boy, did they need him, Justin Herbert, that is, to step up and play big in big moments, and he did just that. Keenan Allen goes off. Coach, what do you want to say about Justin Herbert? Uh, first, they tried to lose that game. 
They, oh, they I, did. That Brandon call, Staley special. Brandon that Staley call special. was unbelievable, man. I that's <laughs> so on, so on my podcast, the the call sheet. Like that's one of the things we're going to talk about because I like to talk about coaching decisions. But I get I get being aggressive and all, that, but my gosh, going for it on fourth and one from from your own twenty four yard line with a minute to go and only up four is mind boggling to me. But yeah. Justin Herbert, forty out of forty seven for four hundred and five yards. It, 40 out of 47. I mean, that's, I don't know if I could do that like, uh, like on air without a defense on there. <laughs> like a complete 40 out of 47. Uh, I mean, Minnesota's not the stingiest defense in the world, but it's an NFL defense. And so, but he just looks so poised, man. He just looks so comfortable. Like, he just looks like, like, uh, what, what could fluster that guy? You know, he doesn't look like, he gets rattled. Now, I mean, granted, this is the same guy who lost that playoff game when they had a 27 nothing lead, but his his coaching staff didn't help him in that one. He just looks like uh, like a guy who really right now is is sort of like peak NFL pocket quarterback in terms of reading defenses and being able to know what, what he wants to do with the football. So I don't know if the if the if the Chargers coaching staff doesn't sabotage him with some of their other decisions, that should be a playoff team. Should be a playoff team. They're very talented. It's going to be a tough battle out in the AFC West between them and Kansas City. I'm sure they'll have some good games this season. Uh, I, I look at Justin Herbert, and I've always said this. You know, you look at the young crop of quarterbacks in the league, Jalen Hurts, Joey Burrow, of course. I would take Justin Herbert. He, he, there's something about him that just fits my eye well. It, it, I just like watching the way he plays. He can run. He doesn't have to run. Uh, he's not that style of quarterback like a Jalen Hurts where you incorporate that into the game necessarily. He's he's got a big arm, super accurate. Justin Herbert's the real deal. I've always said that as a Steeler fan, someone's like, hey, could you pick any quarterback? Who would it be? Yeah, I'm taking, outside of maybe Patrick Mahomes, I'm taking Justin Herbert. That's that's my, I, I love that guy. Love watching him play. Great player. Great guy. All right, For coach. Sure. He's, he, yeah, he's a special dude, no doubt about it. A lot of, a lot of really good young quarterbacks in the league right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't you kind of alluded to this already? Why don't you tell people what's coming up on the call sheet podcast this week, as well as maybe what you're working on for uh, what the website fansforsports.com or steelcurtainnetwork.com where they can find you on social media. Yeah. Uh, at KT Smith FFSN on Twitter and had a piece out today on the, on the fans first NFL page uh, where I, you know, did one observation on all the, all 26 quarterbacks who played in Sunday's games and got a piece coming out on the Steelers offense tomorrow. And then on, our, on my call sheet show, we're going to talk about uh, the progress of some of the young quarterbacks in the league. We're going to talk about the big coaching decisions from from week three that uh, determine the outcome of some of those games. And and then my my buddy Pez is making it back. The, the guy's 10-4-1 picking games. So uh, so he'll, he'll come back a little bit and if, just for uh, a little bit and give you some new picks for the week. So I actually have my friends now that are actually like making picks based on his. And they're like, you know, he's, he's making me money. So <laughs> there you go. Hey, whatever yeah. works, whatever works. Great stuff. Make sure you check out Kevin's work at SteelCurtainNetwork.com and the Steel Curtain Network podcast network, uh, which you go to any podcast platform, search Steelers, you'll find my work. Kevin's work, as well as a lot of other Steelers content. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N underscore P-I-T. This has been another episode of the NFL Whip Around. Coach, thank you for your time. We will see you next week. Take it easy.